you know, first of all, you have to have the desire. So, you know, just by virtue of the fact somebody thinks, oh, I want to go out and do a 5K or something, that's great. There's the motivation there. Uh, and the fact that you, you know, don't take it lightly. Go out and train for it. Um, make yourself proud, if, if you will. And the other thing I'd like to say is don't take yourself too seriously. And it kind of lets yourself off the hook, too. Welcome to the Feel Good Running Podcast, where our goal is to keep you motivated, inspired, and energized. As a runner, or perhaps you are looking for the right motivation to become one, you've definitely found the right place. We share inspirational stories from real runners, motivating running-related information, and much more to help you feel good about your running. And now your host and a longtime Feel Good Runner himself, Jim Lynch. Well, hello, runners, and welcome to episode number 29. My name is Jim Lynch. This is my podcast, Feel Good Running. Welcome to it. I hope you all had a very nice Independence Day weekend. I know I did, and uh, that you have all your limbs because of the fireworks that were blown off. Do a quick check. Make sure you have 10 toes, 10 fingers, 2 arms, and 2 legs. If you have all that still intact, you're in good shape. All right. Well, I'm very excited about today's episode. I have been a big fan of this gentleman for almost 10 years now, and he certainly has accomplished a lot. Marshall Ulrich is his name, and he's an ultramarathon runner, adventure racer, and mountaineer. He's also an author and has a new book out. It's called Both Feet on the Ground, and I'm going to recommend that you get this book, uh, especially right now through the times that we're living through with the pandemic and all the other stresses out there. This is a just an excellent book. And when you hear all that Marshall has accomplished, you'll be amazed and inspired. We just had a great conversation and, and you're going to enjoy it. Uh, we'll have more. I'll talk more about him in just a little bit. Okay, a little over a year ago, right around May of 2019, I did an episode. It's episode number 12. And it featured this wonderful woman from Oklahoma. Her name is Bonnie Vandera. Well, she went through a horrific life or death situation, which we go into detail in that episode, and it has really changed her life tremendously. And she's been struggling ever since and probably will be struggling for years, but she is a fighter. She goes by Wonder Woman. You can hear how all that came about in the episode. And I keep tabs on her. I, I want to know how she's doing. And so I, uh, I'm Facebook friends with her. And she writes poems. And just this last week, she posted a poem that she wrote called Two Brothers. And it's about running and walking. And it blew me away. And it's, it's just too good and really needs to be shared with everybody. Actually, it is, is so good, it should go viral within the running community. I do have a link to it in the show notes if you want to get a copy of it and even pass it along to others. You can find it at feelgoodrunning.com, and it's the show notes for this episode. I'm going to read it to you right now. And, you know, if you go back to episode number 12 and listen to it, this is all going to make sense to you. And you might find a little bit of yourself in this poem. It's titled, Two Brothers. Running, I used to hate you, but that was before I met you. I used to despise you, but that was before I knew you. Running, that one day, running a 5K, you forever changed my life. 
I didn't realize that little start line could be so life-changing. Running, you've carried me through some rather dark days. You pushed me to go farther than I thought I could possibly go. Running, you saved my life more than a couple times. You've cleared my head too many times to count. Running, I never knew how much I needed you until I didn't have you. I didn't realize how much you were a part of me until we were no longer allowed together. But then, dear running, I met your brother walking. While we may be separated for a short while, we will be reunited soon to run again. So walking, I must say you have had to teach me patience these last few years and maybe the next 10. You have taught me to slow down, to enjoy nature around me while walking. Walking. We also have had many victories and struggles, crossing finish lines and crossing off states, walking neighborhood circles for a virtual half marathon and having many walking conversations with friends. Walking. You've watched as I've shed many a tear. You've seen me as I cuss like a sailor in frustration. You've seen me with no fight left in my sails. You've seen me with nothing left to give. Then it comes. Walking. As you and running both know, it is at that exact moment that the strength rushes in. It is at that exact moment that the fight is back on. It is at that exact moment that I know I will finish this race. It is at that exact moment that the fear is gone. It is at that exact moment that the tenacity is back in full swing. It is at that exact moment that I know I can do this. It is at that exact moment when the world knows to stay out of the way for they know that as long as I am walking or running, they had best be on their toes. And when the time comes that I can no longer run or walk, there will still be a way to get my racing in. I will just figure it out when I get there. That was written by Wonder Woman, Bonnie Vandera. She is and will continue to be an inspiration for me and for many others. I have a link for the poem in the show notes, and there's also a link to episode number 12 that I did with Bonnie. Take a listen. And now it's time to welcome this episode's very special running guest. All right, runners. My guest for this episode is Marshall Ulrich. Now, Marshall is a very accomplished ultramarathon runner, mountaineer, adventure racer, speaker, and author. I've been personally inspired by Marshall for several years. He completed his Run Across America in 2008 in 52 days, and I had a chance to meet Marshall in Arizona in 2011 when him and his wife Heather were doing a book signing for his book, Running on Empty, which was about his Run Across America. And at that same time, I had the fortunate opportunity and I don't know how it worked out this way, but to sit next to him on the plane ride back to Denver. So that was a absolute thrill for me to have a conversation with him for a couple hours, which understandably he wouldn't remember, but it was a big thrill for me. Now, his accomplishments, it's just off the charts. There are plenty. Just a few of them right here. He finished Badwater 135, which is 135 miles. And even back when it was a Badwater 146. And Marshall's finished it 20 times, and it's considered the toughest foot race in America. He finished the Badwater Quad, the Badwater Solo, 
he's done Leadville Trail 100, the Pikes Peak Marathon. He actually did Leadville Trail 100 and then hopped into his car and went down to Colorado Springs and did the Pikes Peak Marathon all in the same weekend. He's done the Pikes Peak Quad, Western States 100-mile endurance run. He's reached the top of all seven summits on his first attempt, and that includes Mount Everest. And there's so many more, and many of these actually are wins, and he still holds the record to some of them to this day. But the most impressive thing about Marshall, in my opinion, is he's a very simple man, which you're going to actually hear during our conversation. And though what he's accomplished, most of us really can't relate, his message is really simple. If you don't buy into your limitations in your mind, you can do a hell of a lot more than you can imagine. And he really believes that. He believes that for himself and he believes that for others. And that applies to whatever you set out to accomplish, whether it's a 5K, a 100-mile ultra race, or, you know, just something in your personal life. His latest book, which I really love, is called Both Feet on the Ground. And it's a a wonderful book framed around life, nature, and three of his most treasured adventures. And it's extremely inspiring, and you'll get a lot out of it. I did. And you can get it at Amazon.com. I have a link in the show notes at feelgoodrunning.com. Definitely go pick this thing up and read it. It's really good. And next month, August, you can see Marshall... And his team, they're called the Stray Dogs, compete in the world's toughest race, Eco Challenge Fiji. It's going to be on Prime Video, and this is a Mark Burnett production. He brought you Survivor, and it's hosted by Brit adventurer Bear Brills, who's hosted several shows such as Man vs. Wild, You vs. Wild, and Running Wild. I have a link to the upcoming Eco Challenge trailer, which you can find in the show notes at feelgoodrunning.com. This show really looks good. Looks like it's going to be pretty intense. All right, folks, it's time to hear from Marshall himself. So here's my conversation with Marshall Ulrich. How you feeling? Oh, I'm I'm feeling great. Yeah, with all this virus stuff going on, it's it's really very strange. So, on some some level, you're kind of thinking, "Oh my gosh, I hope I don't get it." But on another level, you're thinking to yourself, "Well, I'm so healthy and everything. If I did, I'll overcome that." Like you do all these running challenges, and uh, it doesn't necessarily work that way, does it? No, it doesn't. From what I'm seeing, it it does not. We think as runners, we have this immune system that can fight pretty much anything off. And this apparently, this coronavirus is something that just kicks the life out of you. And, you know, there are some people out there apparently that are asymptomatic and it doesn't affect them, but they could actually expose other people. It's kind of Mm -hmm. crazy. But uh, good. I'm glad because uh, when I researched you, which I have, I've, re- I've read both of your books and I went back, I had to go back and read, you know, your first book, which is Running on Empty. And then when I read the book, I had to go back and watch Running America again. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Because I needed a refresher and to really understand the whole picture because your new book, Both Feet on the Ground, circles back to events of that time period. So to really understand you and your background and to be able to share it with listeners, I thought it was very important to do that. 
And I actually really enjoyed going back and rereading and, and watching the movie. It was a nice experience. So I met you on a plane. Uh, actually, I met you at an expo in, I think it was Tucson, Arizona, back in 2011 or something like that. It was right after your book came out. And we did a little road trip down there. I was with Runner's Edge of the Rockies here. And then you were, I think you had a booth there and you and Heather were there, most likely promoting your book that just came out, Running America. I ran the marathon and we happened to be next to each other on the plane coming back. And I had a most incredible conversation with you, which you probably have absolutely no idea or recollection of. But to me, it's always stuck. And I, this is this book, this is one that I bought years ago and it's, uh, you know, the pages are yellow, oh. but, uh, but I always kept that book with me. So I was really excited when your new book came out, Both Feet on the Ground, and I had to dive into that. And then I knew I wanted you on the, on the podcast. So let's go back a little bit, uh, Marshall. And um, you were born in Colorado. You're a Coloradan, native Coloradan. You were born up in Greeley, right? Back in, on July 4th of 1951. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, thanks for for remembering, refreshing your memory about all that stuff. But yes, I was born on a dairy farm just outside of Kersey, um, which is just a small town outside of, of course, Greeley. Um, so I think growing up on a farm, it was a huge advantage because we just learned a good work ethic. And I think for to be a good runner, I think that's all you need is just a good work ethic because it requires the same type of things, you know, just to focus, um, something to just get you motivated. And, you know, the cows would motivate you for sure because they were hungry <laughs> and they'd remind you that they were hungry. <laughs> so, um, you know, very simple, uh, beginnings, but, uh, we, we definitely got our hands dirty. Well, you, uh, you seem to have learned discipline when you were on the farm working uh, and, and by your father, especially. But what was really interesting is that on Sunday afternoons seemed to be your free time. And that's when you would do your, your reading, but you were a big fan of Jack London and you really liked the adventure stuff. And you fantasized about Mount Everest and climbing to the summit of Mount Everest back then. And I think maybe that's where you got you know, your enthusiasm for all the accomplishments that you've done. Yeah, I think so. And it really allowed me to dream. And my mother was very good about it, too. That was the Sunday was kind of my creative time. And um, what I mean by creative doesn't necessarily mean artistically, although, you know, I would do cartoon sketches of like the Roadrunner and sometimes they'd be four feet tall or so. So, you know, that was just fascinating, the cartoons. But my mother, you know, encouraged me to do anything that I wanted to do to be very creative. And going back to that, I look at running now as sort of a creative process also where you can allow your mind to just drift and think about things that you'd like to do. Sometimes you think they're corny and then all of a sudden you get back and you start thinking about it. And it's like, that's, that's really not that bad of an idea. You know, I think I'll go out and try this or I'll try that. Or, 
you know, I would just fantasize about doing something new that somebody else hadn't done. And I'm talking about the athletic uh, pursuits. So, yeah, it, it really gave me the opportunity to dream when I was out on the farm. And even when I was out there, you know, driving a tractor or something like that, I was always thinking about some other place or looking at the mountains because you could see them from the farm very far off. And I wanted, I was gravitated toward that and I wanted to be there. I wanted to feel what some of these mountaineers felt when they were climbing these mountains. I wanted to know what it was like to have the freedom to just run endlessly if I wanted to. Well, you you really weren't a runner back then. It was more around 1980 when you became a runner. You were 16 years old. You met your first wife, Jean, who you just absolutely fell in love with. What was it about 10 years later that you found the diagnosis of her having cancer and it really was a gut punch to you? Yeah, it really was. And you're right. I I focused more on my business. I've got a rendering business out in Fort Morgan and I started that up right out of college, got married Graduated from college one day, got married the next day, and moved the next day. So it was just like boom, boom, boom. Uh, So out in Fort Morgan, uh, it was a good opportunity to kind of get away and, uh, you know, carve out a life for myself and do it with Jean. And it was shortly thereafter. In fact, she was she was in law school and 28 years old when she discovered that she had uh, cancer evasive cancer. So uh, a couple of years later, you know, to fast forward, uh, and it's not even that much of a time frame, it happened very quickly. Um, uh, She passed away when I was 30 years old, a couple of years later, and uh, left me with a, you know, beautiful child, Elaine, who was two years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she's 42 years old now. That's, that's been some time. But, um, the way that I dealt with the stress, uh, my blood pressure went way, way up. And so I started running and that's how I became a runner. And I found that over the course of a half dozen years or so that if I stretched the distance out once again, it seemed that the longer the distance, the better I could do. Your first race was in Fort Morgan, a 5K, where your brother Steve ran with you, or you ran with him, and you beat him, and he wasn't too thrilled about that from what I read. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's there's always a little bit of uh, sibling rivalry or competition or whatever, but... um, yeah, he. I think he was a little bit disappointed because I think I'd gone out a grand total of maybe three or four times before the race. And each one of those times I was so sore, I just kind of limp around a little bit and uh, kind of got over the soreness and went out and ran it. And he'd already been running for a year or two. <laughs> so right. he wasn't terribly happy about the whole situation. But, you know, I'm sure he got over it just fine. Well, we hope so. After all this time, you really can't say anything based on everything you've accomplished so far. So when when Jean had had the cancer, it seemed like really towards the end, there was a period of time in there, especially one that jumped out that I read about where it was dark and gloomy and you just had to get out and run. And she wanted you to stay, but you went out and ran. You know, you really talked about a lot in your book. And I think that was kind of your solitude to go out there and clear your mind at that period. Yeah, it, uh, and 
you know, it's funny you should mention that because uh, you always get criticized. You know, some people love your book, some people don't. But uh, probably one of the the biggest criticisms was, you know, how could you have left her and so on. And, you know, it's hard to explain. I guess uh, you just have to be there and, uh, you know, try the shoe on and see if it fits or I don't know how you want to put it. But uh, just to be strong for her, I had to have breaks. And my way of getting a break was just to get out the door and run. And you're right. I still remember that room, even though it had one window, it seemed very dark. And I think that was indicative of what was happening. It may not have been that dark at all, but uh, it was just a darkness that sort of fell over my life and uh, went on for, of course, the two years where she was sick, but then for probably a decade after that, and uh, my beautiful wife, Heather, she uh, she kind of understood that I was broken and I hadn't really grieved appropriately. And she was very patient and understanding. And that's how she helped, helped me through that process was to just let me vent every once in a while and know that when I would go out the door, that it was something that I had to do. And it was a healing process for me. You know, I understand and I think runners understand where you are coming from and certainly would never criticize uh, another runner for that. Because if you're a runner, you understand that that's your way of working through stress. It's your way of working through problems. And to be flat out honest, it, it's just a way that we get through each and every day. But, you know, we're a semi-selfish sport. And you relate to that a lot in your book where you've had issues with your daughter and family, but we don't realize that. we Running is our love. That's a way we escape. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's very, very healthy and all runners will understand that. Unfortunately, other people that don't run don't understand that and certainly not a fault of their own. Yeah. And I think there is a bit of truth to that. Um and that's not to say that you can entirely, I've seen guys really go off the track and their priorities become just all about running. So obviously their life is so troubled, but that's the only thing that they can relate to at that point. Uh, so, you know, it's not necessarily a good thing to just be all encompassed with running. Right. But, you know, as you said, there is a very distinct purpose for it and you can turn it into something very positive as long as you keep your priorities straight. And I think the older that I get, the less important the act of running is, you know, I still go out and run, of course, but, you know, it's not quite so ego driven. I, you know, let's face it to go out and win bad water or something, you've got to have a little bit of ego drivenness right. in you. <laughs> if right. That's a word ego drivenness. Yeah, no, it is. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think you just have to put that in perspective, as I was saying, and pay attention to what's really important in your life. And sure, running can be important. It can um, move you forward. It can get you through things. But, uh when push comes to shove, you know, life is still there and you're still going to face the things that everybody else does. And we're all kind of cut out of a very, very similar mo uh, mold, if you will. Exactly. And I, I certainly understand that. And I understand where you're at now. I have never been an ultra runner. I've done 
marathons, done all 50 states, 101 marathons, but that was my, my thing. But I know the ego-driven uh, part of it because I was competitive then. I didn't win races, but I was very competitive. And uh, just like you, uh, I'm, you know, in my 60s now. And running is not as important to me as far as ego-driven, but it's also important for me to get out there and run. And I get more joy out of seeing other people accomplish now and putting on races. And that makes me feel good to see other people reach their competitive goals. And some are, of course, ego-driven. So I understand where you're coming from on that. So let's go back to the main years of your athletic accomplishments. You did Badwater several times, even when it was 146 miles, and we all know it's 135 now. You ran across Colorado three times, and I believe it was north-south, which would be New Mexico to Wyoming. Um, You've done the Leadville Trail 100 and actually the Pikes Peak Marathon in the same weekend. And um, logistically, I'm not sure how that all worked out because you probably had to jump in the car from Leadville and get down to Colorado Springs really fast. You did Badwater again, solo, unaided and self-contained. You did the Badwater Quad. And of course, this incredible list goes on and on with more amazing accomplishments. But you had that one check that you still wanted to do, and that was Run Across America. And I think when I, if this is correct, when I, when I read, you went on a trip to Summit Denali with uh, Charlie Engel and Aaron Ralston and all that. And then later on, you found out that Charlie wanted to run across America too. And somehow you both connected to do this goal together. Right. And I had known Charlie way back. I think we met in one of the Raid Galois, which was uh, an adventure race very similar to the Eco Challenge. You know, they're long 400-mile races, and you do them as teams, and he was on a separate team. So I met Charlie then, and you're absolutely right. Some of it, uh, Denali with uh, him and, of course, Aaron Ralston and, uh, you know, some other, Tony DeZeno and um, uh, Scott. I'm trying to think of his – but anyhow. Um, and I had – you're absolutely right also – Back in the 90s, they had the two runs across the United States, and I was actually signed up for those and just couldn't do it. You know, work was too hectic. I was trying to raise kids. And so, you know, like many other people, you just kind of put things on hold and hope that you get around to doing them. Climbing Everest was another one of those things that I just put on hold. And I dreamed about doing that just as you had uh, mentioned way back when I was you know, on the farm and five years old, five, six years old. So finally got around to uh, running across America. And it was by far, I think, the difficult, the most difficult thing that I ever did. And to date, you know, the most difficult thing that I've ever done. And I think the reason for that is, you know, if you can imagine, you know, having run, um, 100K or 60 miles approximately, and then going to bed after you've been running for 16, 17, 18 hours and thinking to yourself, reminding yourself, well, I've got to go out and do the same thing, not only the next day, but the day after and the day after. So what does that leave? You know, how does that motivate you? What does that 
that uh, leave you to look forward to. So you really have to be in, immersed and focused. And you had me- mentioned discipline, you know, that I had learned. And the other motivating factor for me, and this applied to Mount Everest too, people ask me, would you ever go out and do it again? And it's like, of course I wouldn't do it again. Well, with running across America, a lot of what I was thinking about when I was running across was I got to finish it here and now because I don't want to come back and start it and have to do it again. <laughs> so it's almost comical, the the mind games you have to play with yourself to keep you motivated. To well, keep that, that keeps you motivated to keep going. I, I want to talk a little bit about the run across America, but not not. Uh, not in depth state by state and all that, but some of the, some of the things that I, I picked up, let me mention a couple of things about it. You started on September 13th of 2008 in San Francisco. And just so people know, it took you uh, 52 days and you finished on November 4th of 2008, the day President Obama was elected. It happened to be election day, kind of a neat way that you, you did that. Um, you broke the grandmasters and masters record. You averaged 58.35 miles a day and the total was 3,063 miles. So that's kind of the recap of what you did. Um, right before when you were planning to do running America across America, you did not, uh, talk too much, talk to your wife about it, Heather. And she was really resistant all the way up to two weeks before, right? Yeah, I did talk to her about it. I started talking to her about it at least a year out, a year and a half out. And I think it's more of a situation where she refused to listen or refused to, you know, have me acquiesce and, and, uh, or have herself acquiesce, excuse me. So, uh, yeah, I was, that was one of my greatest fears was to go out on the road without her. Number one, I'm very connected to her, but Somehow I knew mentally, I didn't know if I'd be able to do it without her, without her support. And take, for instance, if I would have gone out there and she would have been at home, I think I would have been miserable. I, I, I'm not sure I, I would have made it. And I, I mean that honestly. Um, to have her out there and she was running interference because there was a lot of stuff. There was a lot of drama that was going on behind the scenes. And she tried to hide that until it finally bubbled to the surface. Um, And that's the one thing I discovered, even though you're out there running, and I think this applies to anybody who's out there running a marathon or whatever, you're not totally insulated. There's people that are in the background who are, you know, in favor of you doing that. Maybe they're not in favor of you doing that. Um, But I think you have to do what is good for you. And as long as it's not damaging to somebody else, that maybe there's some good that can come out of it for not only you, but for them, or maybe them just witnessing what's going on and seeing you go out and persevere. And maybe they're thinking to themselves, oh my gosh, you know, how can this be so important? And then maybe it kind of settles in. And then all of a sudden they have that aha moment and it's like, well, you know, maybe I should have something like that. Maybe I should focus on something that is really passionate. And so I think that was one of the messages. And it doesn't have to be within the the running genre. It it can be within business or family or whatever. So um, 
you know, if you can motivate somebody else, just like you were saying, uh, to, to get out there and do something that's important to them, to that person, then I think, I think maybe that I don't want to be so extreme as to say that's, that's what makes life, you know, worth living. I think it, it sort of stokes the fire in your belly and, you know, gives you that passion for living. No, it does. And, um, you know, you, you running across America have inspired so many people out there. I know some of the people that have done uh, the run across America always look up to you for what you've done. And you were an inspiration to all of them. And Heather, it really came out loud and clear, mostly in your book, how much you love her and how much she was your absolute solid rock through that whole thing. And it also came out that you know, you're out there trying to do your thing, just busting it every day that you possibly could. And the stress and drama that was behind the scenes because of this documentary and the crew and um, all the all the stresses that were going through that she isolated you from. Um, that must have been hard. Yeah, it was hardened. I came to the realization that, and, you know, I'm going to go back to that whole thing where you can't insulate yourself from that, you know, when it bubbles to the surface, ultimately, you're the one who has to take care of business. So I had to go in and, you know, do what needed to be done. And as far as the film crew and everything, I told them, you know, I know there's, this is a documentary, I know what's going on, but, uh, you know, listen, for everybody to make sure that this is going to happen and that I get across, um, we're going to have to focus on just that running thing and, and not pay attention to all this other stuff that's going on. And um, I gave them, I guess you'd call it an ultimatum that, you, you know, Heather and I would go on by ourselves and continue, um, you know, we could fund the run uh, from then on, uh, or, you know, they could have some sort of a production, but I couldn't have them calling the shots or somebody else orchestrating in the background, trying to say, this is going to happen or that's going to happen. It's like, it just boils down of just getting down to business and doing what needs to be done. And it's as simple as that. I know you had to jump in and for those listeners that are out there, if you get Marshall's book, Running on Empty, you can read more in depth on that and all the stresses that happened out there. And uh, I commend you for for grabbing things by the reins with all the stuff that you were doing and be able to still accomplish that. And there were some issues you had, you know, when you talked about, I want to get this done because I don't want to ever do it again. I just wrote down some of the issues you had out there. This is you physically. You had uh, joint pain, heat exhaustion, muscle cramps and strains, tendonitis, sleep deprivation, blisters, bloody nose, a tear in your tendon tissue, infection of the big toe, dislocated fibula, and severe back pain. Not really any major issues while you were running across America. Well, once again, it kind of, that sort of segues into everybody's lives. They have these problems that they deal with. Look at what's happening today. You know, you can have somebody that uh, is is sick or dying or ha- has died. And so, you know, you're kind of laughing, saying what I'm getting from you is that I was dealing with a lot. But 
there are people out there dealing with a heck of a lot more. And um, for what was happening to me, it was just problem solving and trying to work through it. It's like if this comes up, then I've got to work through it. You know, how how can we do that? And it's it was kind of a joint effort where, you know, I had a race doc who was helping uh, manipulate, you know, my joints and do this and do that. And he was instrumental in getting me across. Plus, you know, I had a couple of people crewing the whole time and uh, they would keep me fed. They'd give me something to eat, if you can believe it, every mile. It was just one of those things where I had to have all those calories in. But um, I didn't look at um, you know, the problems that I ran into as uh, insurmountable. Uh, it, it, take, for instance, the plantar fasciitis. Sure, I had to ice my feet uh, probably four to six times per day uh, just to keep moving and sort of mitigate the pain. That's the bad news. The good news is, is that I could keep moving and it didn't get any better, but it didn't get any worse either. So you can look at the the good or the bad side of it and um, it's all, all how you choose to do it. Well, you also, uh, you were going in for an MRI and the doctor, he wanted you to, to slow down and you said, well, if I go down to 30 or 40 miles a day, would that be considered slowing down? And I thought that was pretty funny. I think you put that in your book and it was also in the documentary. Yeah, it it was. And uh, the thing that was really funny was the look on his face. Right, <laughs> it's, right. It's like he'd been drained of all the energy in the world and he just turned white. And then he just looked at me and he knew exactly that, you know, what I was going to do. And so he just kind of <laughs> shrugged his shoulders and in a way he just kind of laughed. I mean, he, he did what any good doctor uh, does. He advises you as to the best thing to do. And then it's up to the patient to <laughs> whether or not they want to listen. Exactly. I, well, I, I, you got a kick out of it too when, when you said yeah. that and you saw that expression. One person that was in uh, your book uh, a lot running on empty is Roger. You seem to really appreciate Roger. You, you know, it was hard when he had to, to leave, but you really highlighted Roger a lot. And is he still, is Roger still around? Roger is still around and he is in his 80s now. And, you know, I don't think I address this in the book, but uh, Roger just has this, you know, this fire in him. And I believe he was he was in his mid 60s. And the story I like to tell is we had somebody I was I was guiding on Kilimanjaro and I had somebody who couldn't go. It was a woman that uh, she was in remission from cancer. All of a sudden she finds out less than a week before she could climb that it was it was back again. And so I went over and knocked on Roger's door and I said, Hey, Roger. And, you know, he was, as I was saying in his mid sixties or whatever, I said, um, you want to climb Killy for free? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, wow, he just kind of stepped back and, you know, he kind of, um, you know, blinked a few times and he said, well, let me get back to you on that. And of course, he lives just two doors down when I was up at St. Mary's. And um, about 30 minutes later, I hear a knock on the door and he says, you know, my passport is current and everything. 
let's go do it. <laughs> Amazing. He was 67, I think, when he did that. Yeah, that's yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's crazy. So, uh, yeah. And I like to kid people because uh, or joke with people because, I, you know, his training regiment was doing carpentry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he made it to the top. Yeah. Well, you know, mental, mental toughness. And I'm sure you had a lot to do with that, too. So the one scene in the movie, um, and you talk about it in your book a little bit, but it really came to life in the movie, is when you were running down in New York Times Square. And those shots were just incredible of you coming down there. What was it like when you were coming through there and then finally finishing the run? Yeah. So to back up just a little bit, you're absolutely right. We finished the night that Obama was elected. And it was at nighttime, so everybody was out on the streets cheering and so on and so forth. I I was supposed to have finished a few days earlier, maybe a couple of days earlier. I can't remember. And I just got bogged down with the injuries and stuff and, you know, couldn't couldn't quite average the 66 miles that I originally wanted to. So um, that was purely circumstantial that I was there in that one place at that one time. But uh, it, it was unbelievable. New York is anyhow, but we're running down Broadway, coming into, you know, Times Square with all the lights on and people, you know, there's policemen on horses that are, you know, giving you a thumbs up and uh, we're driving this vehicle and I'm running down the middle of Broadway. It was unbelievable that we would be able to do that. In fact, I'm not even sure we had permits to do it, but we were doing it and we were flashing a Heather's flashing a piece of paper saying, this is my permit. And everybody's going, yeah, yeah. And everybody's cheering. And of course, it's because we had a new president. But I thought to myself, somehow I just kind of absorbed all that and, you know, got sort of that egocentric feeling that maybe it was all about me anyhow. And then I'd go. No, nah, that's not really, but it was pretty cool. <laughs> I would have thought it was all about me. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. That just feeds, you know, feeds the motivation to get finished and and just uh, all the all that you've gone through in the past 52 days, you know, that ending. Yeah. So there was, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. There was we were stopping at some of the red lights and we were going through others if we had somebody to kind of escort us through the police. And there was one red light that we stopped at and there was a guy parked in a car and he's smoking a cigar. And he's looking at me and he said he rolled his window down. And he said, right on. And he's puffing the smoke out. And I'm saying, can I have a puff of that cigar? He said, right on, dude. He gives me the cigar and I take a big puff and then I took off running and he's just laughing. He just I love it. He had a great time. I love it. Those are those are just some good memories. Those are you can't can never replace those. Yeah. Amazing. You know, looking back on it, um, I just have to ask you one question. Would you have rather have done the run across America by yourself with your wife or are you good with the fact that, that you did the documentary now? What would you have preferred? Wow. I've never been asked that question. That's really a good question. On some level, um, it was good because I had the funding and it was good because I had the support, uh, you know, during running America. Um, 
all these people encouraging you. So, you know, that was fantastic. I think it sort of elevated my performance. And I knew that uh, it was not only about me, the crew people were out there, the film crew was out there, there were people that were rooting me on, which, you know, uh, that that could have happened anyhow. So, you know, I look at it uh, sort of twofold where that that was an extraordinary experience, not only for me, but hopefully for other people. But I even think about that now just going and I've talked to Heather about that. How about you and I just going out and doing it? No time frame, you know, no restrictions or limitations on, you know, how quick we have to do it, whatever. And going out and doing it. And I, I actually fantasize about that also. So, um, you know, we just may get around to doing that. I think it'd really, really be special. Well, you actually, you didn't run it, but you went back and you went across again, you and Heather and, and stopped at some of the places that you stopped at when you were actually doing the run and visited some restaurants and some other things along the way and kind of reminisced about it, right? Yeah, we did. So we would drive essentially two legs uh, per day. So that would be, you know, the equivalent of uh, close to 120 miles a day. And the interesting thing about it is when you're out there putting one foot in front of the other, you have this singular focus. I mean, you, you it's almost like you're running and you have this tunnel vision. Your focus is very, very narrowed. But what we found amazing is that I was taking anything, everything in from, you know, the outside, uh, where we stopped, the people we ran into, a tree alongside the road, a smell. And sometimes we, we'd go through, uh, take, for instance, where uh, we hit 2,000 miles and, you know, I smoked a uh, celebratory uh, cigar. So, we went through that 2,000 miles. I distinctly remember that. And it even smelled like cigar smoke. So mm. your senses are just, you know, embellished. You're alive. You're taking everything in, even though you don't know it. Well, I hear you. And that must have been just a, an incredible experience just to go back and reminisce and probably shook your head many times along there going, did I really do this? Was I, did I really stop here? Did I really have this many miles in? It's almost like a dream. Yeah. And I suppose you look back and uh, <laughs> you probably don't run quite as fast as you used to. Heck no. Well, you probably look back and almost think of that as, you know, a different person. You know, who was that person that ran that fast? You're it's, absolutely it's kind right. of an interesting thing. It is. I was talking to somebody last night. I, I ran from Runner's Roost. There was a couple of us that went, and I was going, you know, I, I'm i trying like heck to get down to a nine-and-a-half-minute mile, and nine-and-a-half minute was like a, you know, a yep. recovery run, you know, where you just yap with somebody. And I, now to get down to where I was before, it's, it's impossible. But I, I don't care. That's a different yep. thing. I don't yep. care right now. Um, yep. You met Heather, or you married Heather around 2002, somewhere like that. But, um, right. you know, it, it's amazing how much you, you talk about her. I'm very happy for you because it's so wonderful to hear somebody talk about their spouse like that. 
and hold such a, a high regard for your wife and good relationship. But she went through something in 1990. Would you tell me about that, where she almost died? Yeah, so, uh, and I talk about this, I believe, in the second book, Both Feet and Grant. I think I do in the, the first book just a little bit, too. Just a I, touch. I brush upon it. So this was before I met her, well before I met her. And uh, she was in the Aleutian Islands, and this was... It was in January, so if you can imagine how cold it is up in Alaska, and uh, she was uh, doing a project with the Wildlife um, uh, Service, and they were identifying birds on some of the Aleutian Islands, and she was in this uh, whaler with two other people plus a captain, so there were four people, including her. Uh, they knew a storm was coming in, so the last I- island that they went to to check on these these birds, um, they found out that there was this this storm that was coming in. And uh, I can't tell you if they advised. I think they advised that they they not go out or recommended that they not, uh, but they did. They went out. Uh, it, it. I'll just tell it in a nutshell. What happened was the boat overturned. The captain, it was it was at night and they were in this hall overturned, her and these two other people. And the captain, unbeknownst to them, had jumped off. And I guess they were actually pretty close to shore where he could swim over to shore and get out of the water. And um, I think she spent something like 17 hours in the bottom of that boat. Mm -hmm. And uh, she she watched the other two, you know, perish before her eyes. So, and she was able to survive. And um, when I met her, I knew that there was something really special about her, but I didn't know what it was. And after about our third date or so, I questioned her and I said, you know, I just kind of get that there's something that, um, you know, gives you uh, more empathy, more um, insight into life. And so I just straight out ask her and she told me that story and I was just shocked. So, yeah, it was quite a story when I read it and, and thinking, my gosh, that's, that's must've been something to go through. Must've been yeah. something. Yeah. Let's, yep. let's uh, jump into uh, your new book, both feet on the ground. I love the way you broke it into earth, air, fire, and water sections. And it was quite apparent that you framed it as a nature theme. And it kind of filled in some gaps from back when you were starting your running and some of your adventures. And it doesn't go as much into running except for bad water. You talk a lot about bad water. I think, have you done that 22 times? Is that uh, how many times you've done it? Or have you done it uh, just a touch more? Um, I finished it 20 times. Okay. Um, I've actually started it maybe another four or five times beyond that. So in other words, you know, I've bailed out, let's say five times, but uh, I've done other things in the Valley um, such as, uh, you know, a quad or a reverse or North to South or a circumnavigation. So um, I started running the race in 1990 and here we are in 2020. So this is 30 years later. So I've done, officially 29 crossings one way or another. Wow. And I'd, I'd like to go out one more time at least. You know, I never say that I'm 
I'm going to, you know, quit because you never know when I'll come back. So, but I would like to do uh, this one thirtieth, and it, it wouldn't make 30, you know, one each year on the average. Oh, that would be great. And you, you've won it four times, right? Four times. Yes. And, right. and you, do you still hold the, uh, are you still the only person that have done the quad by yourself with no assistance? Oh, and Ashley, I did a quad and I did have assistance, but then I did a solo. The solo, right. Yeah, where I pulled everything and I did that on a bet. You know, somebody bet me I couldn't do it. So I got all my water together and actually took everything. I had everything I needed from the start to the finish, which was the top of uh, Mount Whitney. And then the the quad, I, I definitely... You know, I was the first to do that, but there have been other people who have done, you know, quads and Danny Westerberg has actually done six of them in a row uh, now. And the solo, I think there's probably eight or 10 people that have done it now. Um, way back, I think 91, 92, I was able to set the record for going from bad water to the top of Mount Whitney. And of course, guys have eclipsed my records over and over and over again, running the 135 miles, but the record to the stop, to the top, excuse me, it, it still stands. It's um, 32, 33 hours, something like that. Yeah. So I've, nobody's uh, been able to do that quite, you know, that a uh, lot of that stuff was uh, part of that creative process that I'm talking about. Right. You know, can you really do it? And when we did this, Dave Heckman and myself did this circumnavigation of Death Valley. That was a very creative process too. It took a lot of planning. It took a lot of foresight. It, uh, you know, it was it was a, a difficult thing being out in the desert for sixteen and a half days. I can't imagine it. I that's that's something that you know how you feel and how to do it, and most people can't grasp that, but we can understand you know, the amazing accomplishment that was for you. I mean, I congratulate you tremendously on that. And I've, I've watched the uh, Badwater movie and I know a couple people that have done it, but man, that's a, that's one heck of a challenge. It's still considered the toughest foot race on the planet, right? Well, I like what Ken Clover, you know, he was the race director, still is, I guess on some level of, of the Leadville 100. And he always says the toughest race uh, is the one that you're doing right now. Good point. (laughs) Maybe the toughest run is that one mile I'm going to go out and do later today. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So uh, you, one chapter in your book that was really interesting and you kind of really went into it. And I, I thought a lot about it. Both of your books, I didn't read them. I actually listened to them when I was out running. It was really, it's really awesome. Audiobooks are, are incredible. But you, you really went in deep on food, a chapter on food. And what I thought I, was interesting about it, you understand food because you were on a farm and, and you know what it takes to, to produce the food, to grow the food. And most of us, I'm as guilty of this, and, and I was holding my head in shame while I was running, that I go to the grocery store and I buy something and I never, ever think about how that food got there and all the processing in it. And you really went in depth and talked about that. You also talked a lot about diets, you know, all the diets that are out there. And you talked about vegetarians and vegans and all that. What prompted you to want to write about food? 
I think it was it the food sort of represents the uh, things from the marketing standpoint, how vulnerable we are um, to listening listening to, you know, even now, think about the talking heads and stuff like that and how that affects us. We may think that we're thinking for ourselves, but we're not always doing that. And that goes for food also. You hear about, uh, you probably remember when you started running, coffee was probably a bad thing because it was a diuretic or, you know, whatever. Um, and now all of a sudden it's good. So, you know, it switches from good to bad. And I think that part of that point was, is I think people need to listen to their bodies and everybody's different. And I think their, their diets are, should probably be unique. And I think people need to go out there and number one, discover where their food source you know, comes from, learn as much as they can about it. Go talk to the people who raise it, start a garden, go out and do it yourself, uh, you know, get involved with that aspect. But I think more than anything, you know, don't be susceptible to believing everything that you see. Um, you know, one of my pet peeves, and I think there's, uh, you know, a place for engineered foods, but um, I can tell you this, when we were doing the circumnavigation or I was running across the United States, there's only so much engineered food that you can stand to eat. You know, I think real food is, is, and I think we can get everything we need from real food. So that's what I would encourage people to do is just go out and eat real food. And uh, that, that will probably serve them in a very, very good way. Um, I think any time it also goes to show, and I, I think this this goes, take for instance, when our lives are a little bit out of whack, out of balance and stuff like that. Um, you know, I don't, I, there, there's a reason that that happens and uh, the same holds true for food. So there's similarities there where you shouldn't go to one extreme or the other. I think, you know, kind of the middle of the road, you know, so what yeah, people, you know, I always used to think to myself, oh, I want to be exceptional. I don't want to be, you know, just uh, media, you know, have be part of this me mediocrity or whatever. And uh, the interesting thing is, is, you know, I've got three kids and raising my kids. I just hope and pray that that they're just normal. It's great to be normal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So eating normally is okay too. And you have to learn how to cook the food. It's, we're such a microwave society and I'm not talking about a microwave in your house. I'm just talking about, it's a lot easier to run over to someplace and get some food, take it home and eat it. You take out all of that stuff of having to prepare and cook and all that. This pandemic, I have actually started cooking. And, uh, yep. and I'm getting better at it and I, I like it now I need to understand food more. This may not go over very well. Um, but I think sometimes even people that, um, are really gung ho on being a vegan or a vegetarian or whatever that can get just like running. Sometimes you can get obsessed with running. You can kind of get obsessed with that too. Me, I need to have some meat in my life because I'm a runner and I need that protein. Um, but I do like the vegetables too. Got to have that. 
Yep. And if you can strike that balance, I think it's good. But then, you know, everybody's different. And um, I think if, uh, you know, being a vegan or a vegetarian is their thing, you know, that's that's fine. I, I can tell you this, having done the longer distances, um, boy, fat and protein, they, it's it's tough to get that any other place than you know, with, with meats or fats or, you know, whatever. And, um, so, you know, I think people just have to, if, if they crave the rule of thumb I always used to use is, you know, if I crave something, you know, I usually have a variety of foods when I'm doing an ultra run. And the reason I do is because sometimes I'll start craving something that I would never eat before. Um, good example of that is I knew for a fact, and I, I don't drink Red Bull hardly ever, but if I'm really hammered or something, it tastes good. And one of the things that I did on Mount Everest is I knew that I'd probably want that. So I saved a quart and carried it up for some a day and from 28,000 up to the top. Um, I'll tell you, nothing tastes better. And that's something I'd, I'd never do, but my body evidently needed it. I, I know how you feel on that because after a marathon, I had to have a diet Pepsi and I would yep. never drink diet yep. Pepsi any other time. But after right. a marathon, right. I think the carbonation and whatever was in there just settled my stomach and I felt great and I craved it, but I never right. crave it. I, I, so I know where you're going. Uh, just a small amount on Everest because um, there's so many, you have so much that you've, you've done and you're a wonderful writer, by the way. I just want to say... And it, before we, I, we started our conversation, I introduced you and I really suggest people buy both of your books and read them because they're very, very good. Um, Everest is dangerous and deadly. And I know that you even had some issues. Your daughter brought it up quite a bit uh, about you going up there and possibly threatening your life by climbing Everest. But um, I know that it was a passion ever since you were a young child on those Sunday afternoons wanting to be up there. Um, what was it like? And also what was it like when you went up there and saw all the, you know, the casualties of uh, Everest on people that are frozen in time up there, like green boots. And did that bother you or did you just laser focus to get to the top and then accomplish your goal? Yeah. So um you know, first of all, you know, climbing on Everest was was very different than I had expected. And you can probably relate to this where uh, for your typical training, if you go out and do a little bit longer distance, you know, your body gets that and then you can do it again. And it knows how to, you know, burn the fuel. You don't uh, crash. You don't bonk. Um, so and then you get stronger. So you go out and push yourself and then you get stronger on Mount Everest. What I had to learn is that every time you do a climb and you get up higher and you come back down, you're not going to recover. You've left it on the mountain. So what you do is you just get weaker and weaker and weaker all the time. And then what happens after you've gone up to, say, about 27,000 feet, you come back down and um, we took a rest at Shigar, which is, that's on the north side. It's in Tibet. And at 14,000 feet, we took a rest for a week and we did that so we could recover. And we were actually recovering at 14,000 feet. 
So it's very different on, on Mount Everest. And I think what really makes it technical is, uh, you know, certainly the terrain, um, but it's the altitude more than anything. It's, uh, you know, it'll just knock you for a loop. Uh, just being up at 28,000 foot camp, you know, it's hard to bend over and tie your shoe with just going out of breath. Um, so that's, that's kind of my take on it. The, the climbing was very different. I, it, um, when you're in a tent, it's, uh, I don't want to say it's very boring, but you're not active all the time. And even though you're in a tent, you're, you're really not recovering very well. So you have to, you kind of have to get comfortable in your own skin also. So it teaches you a lot about yourself as far as climbing the higher that you get, the more exhilarating that it is. And, you know, like running America, I'd think to myself, oh, man, I got to get up this mountain because I don't want to do it again. Do it right? again. Yeah. And uh, you get up to 28,000 feet. And I was in a tent with uh, David D'Angelo. And it took us a couple of hours just to melt enough snow to get a couple of liters of water. Uh, so we could go up the next day. So everything is just, it just takes an extreme amount of effort. Um, and I can remember uh, the night before summit uh, day, we got up uh, later on, uh, it got dark and we knew we had to get up like two or three o'clock in the morning and the wind was blowing. It was howling when we did get up and probably a 30 mile an hour wind and my glasses were fogging up. And incidentally, there was David D'Angelo, our Sherpa, two Italians and another Sherpa. Nobody else from the South or the North side got out of their tents. There were just the six of us mm -hmm. on that mountain. So um, I felt very lucky that we would be able to do that, even though we had to fight the weather um, and when we got to the top, all of a sudden the sun came out for about 30 minutes, just as if it was meant to be. And all I felt was just extreme gratitude. Um, and you're right, you know, stepping over a couple of the bodies of people that I even had met and sat down and had dinner with, mm. you have a focus it's kind of like that tunnel vision that you get that I talked about when running across America where you, you can't really pay attention to that sort of thing. Right. But that's not to say that you don't deal with it when you get home. Um, I can remember driving down the road and I'd see the same colors. You know, usually these summit suits are red and yellow or brighter color or something like that. And you'd see a sign or something out of the corner of your eye that's red and yellow. And it would take you right back to where that person was mm -hmm. on that mountain. So, you know, it's kind of reliving it over and over again for, you know, a year or two, and then it sort of fades away. Uh, but it, you know, it was extraordinary. And, you know, as I was saying, I was, I was overcome with gratitude and, um, what really bothers me are people who say that they're going to conquer a mountain. Right. You know, I think, <laughs> you know, the mountains are something to, you know, I look at them as almost um, a living being of sorts, like uh, 
Mount Everest is a mountain goddess. Right. And I, I think, you know, she should be, you know, revered, respected. Um, and she'll allow you to get up that mountain if you're lucky. You know, it's it's interesting you say that out in Hawaii and you're talking about respect, but out in Hawaii, there is a word called Aina, which is land. Mm. And um, I think you referred to in your book a little bit, too, about how people don't respect it and they throw garbage and there's garbage littered all over. And, you know, you respected it. You wanted to make it to the top. You appreciated the opportunity to be able to do that. Um, just like Hawaii, tourists come out and they throw trash all over and they are ruining the reefs and all that. And there's, you just mentioned conquer the mountain. Well, you know, you got to do it with respect. And I'm sure that's why you made it to the top because you respected it. Well, you know, who knows? But uh, I would like to think that. And I would like to think that uh, other people have a you know, deep respect and appreciation for, you know, mountain or, or whatever they're doing, a trail that they're on, uh, you know, they're all, they're all very precious. And I think we shouldn't take that for granted. Right. I get it. I, uh, I never took Hawaii for granted. And I understand you, you also did that for Everest. And I know that your Sherpa was really important to you. You brought that up in your book too. There's a uh, couple things in your book. We'll close this out here pretty quickly. I, there's just a couple other things I really want to talk to you about. I loved your, well, first of all, you talk about death a little bit in both of your books, actually. And there's two gentlemen that really stood out to me, and I just wanted to recognize them. I was running here, running and listening to um, uh, your first audio book, and um I, de- I stopped dead in my tracks when it got to this point. You were talking about a gentleman that really was near and dear to you and Heather. He was doing some video work for you. His name was Chris Douglas. And I was running, and then you said that uh, you saw him, and then he died in a car accident a week later. I literally stopped dead in my tracks, and I shook my head. And I, I really, that story hit me. I, I was very sad when I heard that. And the second person that you talked about was in your new book. And his name in your book is Michael Conda, but I believe he goes by Popov, which you reference in parentheses right after his name in your book. So I'm going to assume it's Michael Popov. Well, he should have never passed away. He went out for that six-mile run in Death Valley. He was picked up by some people, but then they let him out again, and he went a wrong turn, and then that was it. He, He passed away on that run from heat exhaustion. Those are two stories that really stood out for me. Yeah, and yeah, actually, I can see, uh, or, or I'm I'm thinking about, you know, three examples. Those are two really good ones, and you know, I thought about Chris Douglas a lot when I was out there on the run, and my my father had just passed away, also. So, you know, it was kind of being out there. It it helped me come to grips you know, with uh, the loss of, of those people and they were, you know, terribly important in my mind. So um, it um, gave me an opportunity to, to focus in on that and actually do a grieving process that I, I'm so terribly bad at. Uh, but it, it did help me come to grips. Then the other person that you talked about uh, was Mark, Michael uh, Popoff, is his name, Popoff. Oh, Popoff, and, okay. And one of the reasons that I brought him up 
of course, my book's all about reconnecting with nature, nature, getting outside. That's my second book, Both Feet on the Ground, uh, and how uh, it's crucial to our mental and physical health. But we have to be careful. And so that was just to serve uh, as an example of people, you know, they have to just not take it too casually because nature you know, she can wield an ugly hand too. Uh, you know, you have to connect with her, but then, you know, she can turn on you very violently. And so you have to be prepared. That doesn't mean you have to be afraid of going into the outside, but it means that you have to be prepared. And so uh, that story just kind of set the example, be careful when you're out there and and be smart. And then the third person I was thinking about that you had just brushed upon was green boots Mm -hmm. and he was up on Everest and he's at the top of the ridge where you turn and you head over toward Everest. So he's just below 29,000 feet and he's in a cave and, or he was in a cave. I, from what I understand, somebody moved him. Um, But he had been up there since I think the 1990s or whatever, and everybody called him green boots. Well, you know, who is green boots? And so I thought I would take it upon myself to find out who this person is because he was a person instead of just a person who is a, a road marker, right. if you will, up on the top. And so I guess what I'm I'm saying with all this is life is very precious. We as individuals are very unique. We ourselves are, are very special, each and every one of us. And so, you know, we have to be careful and we all have personalities and we all you know, hurt very similar. Look at what's going on, you know, with, with black people and stuff like that. Uh, it's, um, you know, it's, it's really unfortunate that things like, uh, you know, disrespect and, and, uh, you know, abuse and things have been going on so long. It seems like it's, you know, the Achilles heel of, of our society. And, you know, sooner or later, something's got to give. You know, you you, you had a chapter in your first book uh, where you met one of your idols, Ted Corbett, which I think you, you really thought about him a lot and even uh, mentioned him at the end of your run across America. But you had, uh, you were talking about the Bunyaneers and the story about Eddie Gardner, who was harassed on the run with some farm farmer or somebody had a shotgun that wouldn't let him through because he was African-American. Cause if he went through there, then he would be shot and that he was going for a record, I think on, on that run. Right. Yeah. I think it was the second run. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. I yeah. Just, just loop back. Yeah. And, uh, you know, can you imagine running, but then on top of it, having to deal with those circumstances? No, no. Unbelievable. It, it is. Yep. It is unbelievable. Well, you're um, one, the final chapter of your new book, I really liked a lot. You really went deep and it was called Reflection. And you talked about the fact that all the stuff that you've accomplished, you had a lot of failures too. And I think it, that chapter will really speak to a lot of regular runners, if, you know, when they read your book, that don't compare yourself to somebody. I could never compare myself to you. I don't want to compare myself to other people. It's it's a personal thing why I run. And, uh, you know, yeah, we can be competitive and all that, but you're going to fail because if you don't fail, you're never going to succeed if you, you know, in a lot of cases. That chapter I, I felt was 
was a really good end to the book that you had. Um, and that is a question I like to ask. What would you say to people out there that are listening that maybe are just trying to run a 5K? That's their goal. Um, they're not trying to accomplish uh, run across America. What would you say to them? Well, I would say that, you know, first of all, you have to have the desire. So, you know, just by virtue of the fact somebody thinks, oh, I want to go out and do a 5K or something. That's great. There's the motivation there. Uh, and the fact that you, you know, don't take it lightly. Go out and train for it. Um, make yourself proud, if, if you will. And the other thing I'd like to say is don't take yourself too seriously. And it kind of lets yourself off the hook, too. And even if you do fail, and, uh, you know, I address this in my book, of course, is I always like to say that I've learned more from my failures than my successes. And that really holds true. So, um, you know, maybe you go out and do a 5K and that leads to something else, or maybe that's it. That's fine. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, I'm sure you've got other goals in life. So, you know, that's okay. But if that acts as a building block to get to a 10K or a marathon, fantastic. That's great. Or it can act as a building block it builds your character to where uh, it evokes you to do something else in your life that you didn't think that you could do, that you have to apply yourself and, you know, train for, if you want to use that word, um, so that you can go out and be successful. Because when we do have those successes, it kind of, you know, builds us up in a way, I'm, I'm thinking in a good way, and uh, it allows us to keep going on and doing things that are even more extraordinary. So, um, you know, I just like to encourage people to overcome their fears. Don't overthink things. Just go out and do them. Right. Don't overthink things. Just go out and do it. That's some solid advice. So one of the final things I'd like to ask you too is um, there are a lot of new runners out there now, especially with the pandemic. I, after reading your book, your second book, you really talk a lot about nature and you have that, you have the story about crows, like shiny things, not wild crows, but tame crows. And for people to just get out there in nature, disconnect from everything. I mean, we're getting hammered every which way, but loose now with the pandemic and the you know, the issues that are going on in the news and all the stuff that's out there that's hitting us. We just have to try to disconnect. And your crow story really brings it all home. And I have actually a link to it. You wrote a blog recently about the crow and it's in the show notes for those that want to want to take a look at it. It's definitely worth it. Well, yeah, and I appreciate that. And we had uh, been thinking about releasing this book and for whatever reason, you know, we just didn't get around to it. We were waiting for the audio book to come out and this and that. And then the pandemic came up and I told Heather and some people said, oh, don't release your book because, you know, things are just so up in the air and people really, you know, aren't going to be so focused on this or that. And I said, this is exactly the time we need to release it. Yeah, well, it's a good book and I think people should definitely read it, get back in touch with nature Read about, you know, your stories and your adventures. You you really, both both books are good, but I like the, the latest book, especially with what's going on right now. And speaking of what's going on right now, what's next for you? There was an article in, that I found um, 
I can't remember what, uh, it was some outdoor article that y- you were contemplating the age issue in 2018 when you were the only one that dropped out on bad water and you were thinking, well, maybe now's the time. Well, you have to change your mind? Well, and some of that I think was taken, I guess the message that a lot of people got is, you know, I'm I'm retiring or something like that. I didn't mean you know, that I think I'm going to be doing things as long as I live. It may not be to the extremes that I've done in the past. So, you know, I, uh, yeah, and I changed my mind. It's kind of like, you know, I was talking about uh, Badwater and doing the 30th, but I don't want to say that, I, you know, that's going to be the last one because you never know. Right. So, you know, I don't know. It's, it's uh, just kind of an interesting situation where, um, you know, I think you go through a process of rethinking who you are and what you want to stand for and what you want to model for other people. And all those things kind of get wrapped up in it. And uh, I think, you know, with the with a new book, I think I, I probably won't write another book. Once again, I never say never. Um but this is, you know, if I were to leave people with one message, I think this this book sort of focuses on that, that you don't have to be, you know, a superstar running athlete or anything like that. Just grab yourself a, you know, set of hiking poles or if you've got some sort of, um, you know, even if you're, you, you can't move your legs very well and you've got to go out around the block uh, in a walker, go do it, you know, do what you can. Uh, and it doesn't have to be age specific. Uh, you can do as much as you can for the the age that you are or what you can do. So uh, just just get out into nature. When I read uh, when I read that article, I I said, "Nah, this guy's not built that way. He's not built <laughs> that. He's not walking away from it. He'll still be out there doing something." It may yeah, not be okay. running across America or going to the top of Everest or whatever, but he's going to be out there doing something. You just can't stay still. <laughs> well, I, I, I did mention in both feet on the ground uh, that there was going to be an eco challenge. Well, that eco challenge happened. I was going to ask was, you about that. The Mark Burnett thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. The Mark Burnett thing and Bear Grylls has kind of taken the reins. So it was in Fiji and I put together a team. And of course, we are the oldest team out there. And I did that purposefully. Uh, We are just under the average age of 66. So by far, we were the oldest. Uh, So that will air on um, Amazon Prime probably this fall, September, say, uh, 10-part series. So you'll see our team. It's called Team Stray Dogs. So I was able to do that. And this summer, I think I'd mentioned that uh, I'd like to go out to Bedwater and, you know, do a 30th. That would be great. And, uh, you know, take some close friends out there so they can um, have that same experience of, of some of the other people or, or just submerse themselves in Death Valley and the dark skies and the peacefulness and the solitude. solitude. So I like what you place. say. I like what you say when you say the peacefulness and the solitude. It just, I, I it's calling me, man. It's calling me. And uh, I have no doubt that you're going to do that. I was going to ask you about the Mark Burnett thing because I, I had, that was the last thing on here, the Eco Challenge, and if that yep. was recorded. So good. I'm looking forward to that this fall. Um, there's a whole new generation of uh, ultra runners out there now that are doing things and 
I, I guess I, there's one person that I want to bring up. I don't know him. I've heard of him. I was told I should interview him. And unfortunately, he passed away recently, David Clark. And uh, you wrote the foreword for one of his books, I believe is called Out There. That was sad. And uh, I dug into him a little bit more. And he's, he's a pretty remarkable dude. You know, one of the newer generation altar runners out there. Good story. Yeah. Yeah, he was only 49 years old. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I heard, you know, he had complications happen due to back surgery. Right. And he had uh, uh, he had been suffering from, you know, back pain for some time. But uh, the whole the whole thing from the, the, the time he went into the hospital until, you know, he was pronounced dead was probably six or seven days. Is right. All. Right. It was unbelievable. And. Um, I don't, I don't even want to go into, you know, some of the gory, gory details, but it was just, I, I can't believe it. Yeah. I still can't believe it. Yeah. I can't believe he's gone. It just, once again, I think it goes to show that, you know, how fragile life is mm -hmm. and how much we have to just appreciate every day, um, and have an appreciation for each other. Right. Yeah. It was sad and I didn't know him and it affected me. And I know a lot of people out here in Colorado knew him and, right. but, uh, you're right. You have to appreciate every day and, and just enjoy each day. Marshall, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I have always followed you and, uh, been motivated and inspired by you. And this has been an, indeed a, an honor and a pleasure to have you on. Well, it's it's always an honor, and you know, a lot of times my message is the same. But uh, it's it's always you, you always hope that there there's somebody out there that that you touch in a positive way, and uh, you know that's a big big motivating factor for me. So, uh, and I appreciate you, you know, giving me the platform to express myself and uh, your support. So it's it's been a delight to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks, and uh, good luck with you and. Hopefully, some you know a lot of people that are listening will will pick up your book because it's a it's a good read. It's a very good read. And, well, thank you. And uh, and I think it's important, especially during the pandemic and all we're going through. It's a it's it's perfect. So, all right, Marshall. Thank you. Have a have a really good day. Okay. You too. Well, there you go, Marshall Ulrich. I'd like to thank Marshall for coming on to Feel Good Running. It was definitely a thrill for me to have the opportunity to have some time with him. And I hope you enjoyed it too. And last Saturday, July 4th, was Marshall's birthday. So we'd like to wish a happy birthday to Marshall. Hope you had a wonderful day. Now, I couldn't discuss the Eco Challenge Fiji with him since he's under a non-disclosure agreement but we know he made it back safe, so that's a good thing. And don't forget to watch the series on Prime Video next month and, and see how the Stray Dogs fared. Also, pick up Marshall's new book, Both Feet on the Ground. It's a great book. And as we discussed, this book is very relevant right now because of the coronavirus. We all need to disconnect from all this chaos just a little bit and get back in touch with nature. I have that calling, and I'm getting out as much as I can. Well, there's a link to where you can order his book, along with several other links of interest, including the trailer for the Eco Challenge Fiji. And it's in this episode's show notes at feelgoodrunning.com. That's feelgoodrunning.com. Check it out now. 
Here is a running quote to keep you inspired and feeling good. Okay, runners, it's that time. And if you're a regular listener, of course you know what time it is. It is time for our motivational quote of the episode. And of course, I'm going to use a quote from our guest today, Marshall Ulrich. And he has lots of quotes, so I pulled this one out because I like this one the best. And it goes like this. I always say the only limitations are in your mind. And if you don't buy into those limits, you can do a hell of a lot more than you can imagine. Now, let me read that one more time. I always say the only limitations are in your mind. And if you don't buy into those limits, you can do a hell of a lot more than you can imagine. Well, of course, based on everything that Marshall has accomplished and everything you may be trying to accomplish, well, that quote fits perfect. Don't live your life based on limitations. Blow those limitations up that are in your head right now and reach for the stars. Because as Marshall says, you can do a hell of a lot more than you can imagine. And that's a fact. And thank you, Marshall, for giving us all some inspiration. All right, runners, that's it for this episode. Don't forget to get on our mailing list so you can get your free 101 running-related links sent right to you as soon as you sign up. And of course, please share this episode with your running friends, friends, and their friends, and and their friends' friends uh, through your social media networks, okay? I guess that's called Facebook and Instagram and I don't know whatever else you use, but please share it. I would really appreciate that. It helps the show to grow. Our next episode will be on Tuesday, July 24th. Like I said last episode, we are going to have a fresh episode on the first and third Tuesday of every month. Okay, be healthy, be safe. And as I always say, just show up and always, always feel good about your running. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Please consider sharing this podcast with your running friends and spread the feel-good running vibe around you. Head over to feelgoodrunning.com to access all the links and resources mentioned on the show. Until next time, keep motivated, keep focused, and keep on running. It is sure to make you, well, feel good.